Welcome to Mastering Herbalism with Bob Lindy of the Tradition School of Herbal Studies here in beautiful St. Petersburg, Florida. In this podcast, we work to raise the bar for anyone, beginner to practitioner, who has an interest and excitement for herbalism. Join us to explore the exciting world of herbal medicine. Today's episode, we're talking about working with clients dealing with mental health issues. We're privileged to have Sierra Nenk, herbalist with us today. And this is an area where she's practiced for many years and is now studying to be an acupuncture physician so that she can really help so many people out there. So before we talk to her, of course, remember, this doesn't constitute any kind of medical advice. And make sure that you consult your herbalist, naturopathic doctor, medical doctor, acupuncture physician, or some other interesting set of initials uh, for your personal health journey. And nothing that we say is approved by any federal, state, or local government agency and does not constitute medical advice, but I bet your great-grandmama would approve of what we have to say. So welcome, Sierra. And tell us a little bit, how did you end up getting into herbalism? I love that disclaimer. (laughs) Um, So I actually got into herbalism through acupuncture. Um, I think I've told you this story a hundred times. Somebody sent me to your student acupuncture clinic. And uh, the results were amazing uh, for pain. And I asked you, uh, will you teach me how to do acupuncture? And you laughed. And your front desk, I think it was um, Alma at the time, she told me, no, but we have an herb school. And if you start off learning the Chinese herbs, you'll be way ahead of the game for acupuncture school. And I said, okay, that sounds great. It's way cheaper. Um, So that's how I found your program. That was really the start of herbalism for me. I think it was 2016. Something like that. Something yeah. like that. Um, and then you practiced at the clinic for a long time. Yeah. No, I actually, I feel like I never left the clinic. I went from the student clinic to continuing student clinic, practicing at the clinic, and then helping you out at the student clinic. So. Yeah, you help us supervise. <laughs> and like, obviously all along the way, although we all treat whoever walks in the door, but like you've kind of had a specialty, a, a niche in the market. Yes. Um, I actually, I uh, didn't come in to herbs with the idea that it would do as much for mental health as it did. I came into herbs because it was a pathway to acupuncture. And in the process, being in the student clinic, treating people, working with people, I was like, holy cow. <laughs> you can do so much for mental health with this. And so that really became the niche focus because, I mean, I I myself have struggled with mental health issues so severely. So being able to tailor in and see what I could do for myself and see the results I could get for other people, I don't know, it's just, I feel like that's a, it's a really underserved population, so. Yeah, you know, it's funny, for, for most of us, I think we come into this realm because of our own health issues, whether they're physical, energetic, or emotional mm-hmm. health. Um, But I think there's kind of, for folks, you know, we we differentiate between emotional and mental health a lot of times Mm. in in all the medical realms, not just in herbalism. And I know a lot of practitioners struggle to either work with people dealing with mental health issues or just flat out refuse. Talk to us a little bit about that stigma that comes along with mental health stuff. That's hard. And um, man... It's valid. It's a really valid stigma in a lot of ways. It's also really uninformed. (laughs) It's difficult to work with. It's difficult to work with mental health clients, especially as an alternative practitioner. And I think part of that stigma comes from, 
you get this you get this question okay well what herbs can i take and what can i do for my mental health or to treat my schizophrenia or my bipolar disorder or my borderline personality disorder and there i mean as anybody who's listened to this podcast knows <laughs> there's no clear answer as to what herb can i take for that and so there'll maybe be a misperception on the outside there'll be this misperception of oh what you're doing doesn't work you can't, there's no magical formula that you can give people. So frequently people will take herbs and get worse. And they'll have, there are all kinds of things that can happen. Manic episodes can be triggered. Psychotic episodes can be triggered. People can fall into absolute states of delusion because they're not using the herbs correctly. <laughs> and go ahead. I was going to say, how, how does somebody go about finding the right herbs or, or combination of stuff? How does somebody like, you know, you know, I make jokes about like using TikTok for your herbal oh, advice or my whatever. Goodness. So, you know, <laughs> I'm quite sure that somebody is struggling with mental health issues, whether they're medicated or not medicated. How do they, what do they need to do to make sure that they're getting it right and they don't create a manic episode or something right. scary like that? Right. So, if you go on Google right now and Google herbs for depression or herbs for bipolar disorder, and I do this all the time because I really want to know what, what people are saying. Like, what are my clients thinking when they come in to see me? Um, the information that you'll get is a mix of contradictory, absolutely false, and potentially dangerous. Like, it is contradictory at best. And TikTok and all of these things, people are glomming onto these quick answers. So that's definitely not the way to go about it. I would say the way to go about it is really to start to get an education in herbs and how they work. I, I don't think there's any other way. You have to know the basics or work with somebody who does understand herbalism, work with an herbalist. Mm -hmm. um, the energetics of herbs, something that you have so many classes on and do so much teaching with, is really the best start. I mean, because that's how herbs work. They have energetics. They're drying or they're moistening, and that they're uplifting or they're down-regulating, and that's really how they interact with your body. Well, that's one of the things we always talk about is finding somebody to work with who understands the herbs and... and both the science and the energetics behind it, mm -hmm. and, you know, uh, not affiliated with it, uh, but the American Herbalist Guild, if you're looking to find an herbalist, is always a great place to start for folks. Uh, Absolutely. And so making sure that somebody has some sort of clinical experience or recognition within the realm somehow. is very important because there are a lot of people out there who, God, they're, they're trying. I really appreciate the movement of moving towards natural health, but natural health does not always mean safe. <laughs> You know, and, and I know we can't say take this herb for that kind of thing, but mm -hmm. what are some of the herbs that you find that you're commonly using in your practice, either Western or Chinese? I, I know you work primarily with Chinese, but I, I know you know your Western herbs as well. I, I do know, thank you to you, I do know some of my Western herbs. Um, and I think some of my favorite Chinese herbs, we can even translate a little bit into Western. <laughs> but so herbs I really like to work with. And so I've got... I've got, I've got like a double list. So there are some herbs that I think are generally safe and are, are, people should feel free to experiment with at low doses or even therapeutic doses. And then there are some that are amazing for some people and you will see great reports. And then for another 50 to 60% of people, you could end up in the hospital. So a manic episode could be triggered. So the safe list, I really, and it's frustrating because some of this sounds so basic, but when used correctly and at the right time, it's important. So chamomile, blue vervain, and then your adaptogens like holy basil and reishi, 
staying away from ashwagandha and ginseng on that adaptogens list, very importantly. <laughs> um, and on the Chinese side, we have uh, bai he, which is lily bulb. I'm a huge fan. Bob has watched me experiment with lily bulb quite a bit. Um, peony root and then shizandra, which translates really well back and forth. We use that so much in Chinese and in Western. And then you taught me about malungu and guayusa. Like that right there is a list that I think would be, I would feel safe telling anybody to experiment with. Yeah, it's it's so funny. I, I just recently sourced some seeds uh, of malungu and hoping to be able to propagate it because it is so hard to find good quality malungu. It is. Uh, it's not spoken about as much. And and that's really a great list. It's it's so funny that so many of those, some people probably heard about, you know, a bunch of them. The chamomile's one that I I am constantly promoting chamomile because it is such a easy to source. You can mm -hmm. find any gas station, mm -hmm. uh, grocery store in the worst neighborhood in any part of the world. You can probably find a box of chamomile. And the magic in how, is always on how you make it. Exactly. You know, if we're just making a spot of tea. Uh, <laughs> Don't expect the best results. You're, you're gonna, it's, it's a pleasant after dinner drink, but if you want medicinal, um, I, I always talk about like therapeutic doses mm -hmm. and make you unconscious if necessary. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like the, and chamomile, don't I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's one of those that you can cook for a long time. And really the more you cook it, the more bitter it tastes to you. And I, I don't know if you've talked about the energetics of herbs on here yeah, before. Yeah, it might've come up once or twice. Yeah, bitter being good for settling things down. Yeah. <laughs> so that is extremely important. You wanna taste that in the herb when you prepare it. Yeah, it's funny, I, I, I was just uh, reading a discussion from a few senior herbalists from around the country and they were talking about the difference of tasting the, the nasty herb versus um, putting it in a capsule or hiding the taste somehow. Mm -hmm. and it was a very split decision. I definitely <laughs> land in the camp of you'll get better medicine if you taste it in all of its glory, glorious nastiness. Uh, so it's always a trick. And I think that's one that people don't think about, you know, mm -hmm. whether it's for sleep, insomnia, manic mm -hmm. episodes. Uh, but it does raise the question because we frequently think of chamomile as having a role in digestion. Like it's an, mm. I, you know, I made a joke about after dinner drink, but let's talk about food. Like what role does food and digestion have in the realm of mental health stuff? I think so many of the herbs that I would use to expand on that list, so many of the herbs I would use for bipolar disorder are really digestive tonics or they're addressing that that excitable stomach, that nervous stomach concept. Because the role of digestion in all of mental health, I mean, all of health in general is, is absolutely crucial. So I think one of the most important things that we can do is help support the digestion and make sure we're eating the right foods. And I think it gets oversaid so much and under-addressed in the right way. Everybody has this idea of eating healthy. Oh, I'm going to go on a cleanse. I'm going to have juices. I'm going to eat a raw food diet. And oh, man. <laughs> I'm going to guess that's not what you recommend. <laughs> that's not what I recommend. I, I definitely recommend eating. I mean, we have the concept of eating your food cooked. Like you want nice, warm food that your stomach can, it's pre-digested. You want, it, you want your stomach to have an easy time digesting that food. The biggest thing for me is for mental health, avoiding inflammatory foods. That's a really big buzzword and it's different for everybody. Like, I was going to say, what are some <laughs> common inflammatory foods that you're kind of like, 
And again, you know, it's like, like you say, everybody's different based on their energetics, yep. but you know, there's usually like the, there's a the big stock list. answers of like, yeah, but at least yeah. these things you probably shouldn't do. What's that starting point? It's your gluten. It's for some people, corn, that's becoming more and more of an inflammatory issue. I don't know if it's the way we're processing it or growing it, maybe. Um, so gluten, corn, sugars, um, binders and fillers and texturants, artificial colors and artificial flavors. Those are really big deals. For some people, nightshades, that's, I think, I think that, I think that puts high on the list. And for others, dairy. I would say that covers my, my main list. And, and I know we've talked a lot about gluten. Mm. And, and I know that's a, a fun story and we argue about who came up with it. But <laughs> <laughs> I know you did. Absolutely. You can say it was me all day. I remember. Tell us about your, your, your experience with gluten and why that's oftentimes at the top of your list on stuff. So I, I was diagnosed bipolar back in 2012, I believe. And I, I struggled off and on with medication and herbs and all of these different things. And one day you and I were sitting around a campfire at an herbal event and you looked at me and you said, you know, gluten, gluten can have some pretty serious mental health effects. <laughs> Cause I was telling you uh, certain carbs, I don't know what it is. I just get this weird digestive problem and I feel like sweaty and my stomach starts cramping. And I, I really think you made the connection between the potential for the inflammation and the mental health issues. So I cut it out. I cut it out for a whole month, no gluten. And I, you know, you have to avoid soy sauce. You have to avoid pre-mixed spices. And so many You can't things. eat any pre-made sauces. Like it's in everything. And um, after a month, I had some Indian fry bread, which was so gluteny and delicious. And I had a psychotic episode yeah. within 45 minutes. And wow. so that for me was a pretty clear... Maybe this is, maybe we're onto something here. And you know, it, it's one of those things we always talk about, just because you had that dramatic mm, mm -hmm. uh, effect from it doesn't mean that we would definitely uh, necessarily project that onto everybody else. Absolutely. But in your practice, tell us about how you've seen that in other diagnostics. You know, I know you've worked with a, a wide variety of different mental health issues uh, with yes. your clients. Yes. I think for mental and physical, but really, because I, I do hone so much in on that mental aspect, people are, people are always resistant to dietary change at first. So I like to plant the seed and I tell them, hey, we're going to do this at some point. You just tell me when you're ready. And they see changes with the herbs and everything's great. And then at some point they go, man, I'm ready. I want to see what happens. So we cut out the sugar and we cut out the gluten. And they come back to me after two weeks and they go, oh my goodness, <laughs> reduced suicidal ideation, um, better sleep, reduced paranoia, maybe less intense mood shifts, maybe fewer mood shifts. So it, even if it's not the end all be all for everybody, there may be other things at play. You need to look at other factors in your life and other factors in your diet. It makes a difference. Yeah. No, I've seen the same thing. It, it's... It's frequently the starting point. Yes. Unfortunately, because it's hard. <laughs> and, you know, kudos to those people who are successful and occasionally mm -hmm. fall off the bandwagon on it. But um, mm -hmm. it's usually very night and day uh, how dramatic of an effect it can be. It makes such a difference. And for people who are willing, willing to make the changes, the difference is, I mean, I, I cannot speak to the magnitudes of difference that it makes. And if you're not willing to make the changes rely on other things for help and support and moderate your expectations. And 
You know, we, we talked a little bit about herbs. How about supplements? Is there any supplements oh you like to work with? Oh, yeah. Big time. Um, <laughs> I think that, and there's cool research right now. Um, again, my specialty whole thing with the bipolar disorder, but this does extend to the wider mental health. And Bob, I know you talk about it at length. Vitamin D, magnesium, and um, a good B complex will get you so far in life. And looking specifically at bipolar disorder, it's important to know when to take those things. So taking a B complex, especially a lot of B5, can trigger hypomanic episodes. And so if you are really sensitive to them, if you're really sensitive to manic episodes, if you know that that's a, you're, you're more on the high side than the low side, you want to regulate when you're taking those B vitamins and how much you're taking. However, if you're in the depressive episode, those B vitamins are crucial. Like it can, it, it can almost feel like you've taken medication. It's better wow, in some impressive. cases, I think. Yeah. I've seen a lot of people have good results. That uh, magnesium is typically low in the cerebral spinal fluid of people during manic episodes. Um, there's a little bit of contradictory evidence on that. You know, studies can be challenging, but taking magnesium during a manic episode, especially in the moments that you're realizing that it's getting too intense during the day, will settle you down. I mean, and taking it before bed helps promote better sleep, which is so crucial to all of mental health. And, you know, it's starting to go into the weeds here a little bit, mm -hmm. but I, I obviously am a fan of magnesium mm -hmm. and I've been, I hate to say, I see on Facebook that there's like all this form of magnesium does this and this one is a miracle and la, 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 la. <laughs> it, but the reality is I do find that there is a huge difference in the effectiveness at the very least of the different forms of magnesium. Have any that you prefer in the realm? Okay, so I actually wish I had my list in front of me because I have to check my list every single time I want to answer this because the, the answer is yes. There is a different magnesium that I'm going to recommend for somebody who's struggling with blood control, like blood pressure control. There's a different magnesium I'm going to recommend the citrate for citrate frequently. Exactly. So you uh, know, you know yeah. your list better than I do. I consult it every the, time. The, <laughs> the glycinate tends to affect the bowels the least. And right. I, I, I don't have an opinion yet on the three and eight. I think it is that seems to have a better um, focus aspect mm -hmm. to it, but I'm still... My, my jury's still out in my mind on that one. I think personally, my favorite is innate. They have the the three in it. And mm -hmm. I really do like that one, um, partially because it comes in a powder form and I can just dose how much I want, or I can tell my clients to take a little bit or take a whole lot. It doesn't have any effect on the bowels, which I love. Mm. No, None of that digestive upset. And it does seem to be good for promoting calm. And, you know, obviously always coming into the concern is, most often folks are on medications mm. and, you know, they might be on, uh, you know, lithium they, they hand out certainly for bipolar is oftentimes the starting point, but also for other diagnoses as well. How do you navigate around all of those exciting meds? Because they can be scary. And I think a lot of times people are, are frustrated at the side effects of those medications. That's, that, um, that's a really big question. Um, so if somebody is on medication currently and wants to stay on medication, which I, if medication is working for you, highly advise, find a way to, to stay on the medication until you know you have a really good safety net and other things that work for you. Um, if somebody ever came to me and said, I want to get off meds, I'd tell them that's a six month journey to even start considering before I'm, I'm not, 
I need to see that you can maintain a lot of control in other aspects of your life before we're willing to work with your psychiatrist <laughs> to start down-regulating your meds. While you're taking medications, there are so many herbs that you can take. And I like to think about the food-grade herbs versus some of the more psychoactive herbs. And so looking at mushrooms, looking at the um, looking at roots and adaptogens that behave in a more regulatory way, um, looking at mineral-rich herbs, I find that there's a huge benefit. And there's actually really cool studies in children specifically because um, they're so adapt, like they're, they're, they change so quickly. They respond to things so well um, that if you give them enough of their micronutrient needs, bipolar symptoms will disappear. Wow. So I think that even in the developed adult brain, we see huge benefits. If you are, if you're getting enough of those micronutrients, those minerals and the vitamins, that that's going to have a huge benefit. And also when you're on medication, you're frequently being depleted of some of those essential minerals and vitamins. So just adding in some of alfalfa, nettles, oat straw, red raspberry leaf, um, these really mineral-rich Western herbs is a great start. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I think that's, you know, I, I'm making a bad joke here, but like <laughs> using herbs like you just mentioned, you know, versus a Flintstone vitamin, mm. uh, you know, <laughs> that we're looking at all of the ones that, aren't always listed on a label, whereas right. it's just the essential ones for survival that might be in the over-the-counter right. children's vitamin. And what form are they coming in is such a big deal. Yeah. Like those plants are giving it to you in a much more bioavailable form. And, and let's go to the scary side of things. Like there's a few herbs out there that are just like flat out, oh, contraindicated. Oh, do tell. Oh, my like, goodness. Like, what are the ones that are like, I can't believe you're taking that and still alive? I, um, <laughs> okay, I want to start off. Everybody in the Western world has probably experimented with Albizia, mm -hmm. Mimosa. We love it. It's it's the happiness yeah. um, plant. He Juan P, He Juan Hua. Yes. yes. Yeah. Hey, Juan P, um, I think it's wonderful. I see you do magical things. If you are bipolar, stay the heck away from this. Don't go near, don't go near the bark. Don't touch it if you can avoid it, quite frankly. <laughs> <Wow>. and <laughs> I mean, you have, you have your story about Dong Guai and how mm -hmm. strong it can be just through touch. I feel that for some people, mimosa can be that strong. Um, I've been in households where the mimosa bark is cooking and it's too intense for me. Um, I have seen three hospitalized manic episodes as a result of practitioners prescribing Hei Huan Pi in a formula to somebody who is bipolar. Um, they didn't realize it at the time. They didn't know that that would have that effect. They asked me for consultations afterwards. Hey, I saw this um, person and two weeks later, they're in the hospital back on lithium. What happened? We look at the formula and it's always Hei Huan P. Wow. It's always Albizia. So yeah. please, there's no reason under the sun if you are bipolar that you need to take Mimosa Bark. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think some other common ones... and. That's one that you don't see anywhere also, which I find really frustrating because common ones that everybody talks about is rhodiola, St. John's wort, and ginseng. Those are obviously for good reasons to stay away. And, and it's it's funny. I don't think a lot of people even think about rhodiola. Mm. Um, and it's in so many of our stress formulas and yeah, adaptogen formulas, everywhere. ginseng as well. And so really people taking the time to read their labels mm -hmm. because... Most practitioners probably really good at emotional health, but sometimes when we cross that line into those more chronic mental health issues, um, and, and it was something I wanted to ask you about as well. 
you know, a lot of times I've heard those things are specific for bipolar too, and there's mm. these subsets of the term bipolar. Mm -hmm. But even when we're looking at the generic diagnosis of that, the misdiagnosis that we see so frequently where they throw around these current terms, I know you want to say something about that. Oh, you know I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, so just a, a quick overview, if this is a good place to start just to go over bipolar one, bipolar two, and then cyclothymia, and then this idea of rapid cycling. Can I start there? Please. I'll be I'll be really brief. You've probably already lost half of us. So, no. <laughs> <laughs> so when we say bipolar disorder, there are types of bipolar disorder. And for anybody who has bipolar disorder or has a loved one with bipolar, when they give you these types, all they're doing is um, helping to inform their medication selection better. Um, the the distinguishing features between these types is really it's really about what medications can and cannot they give you. What's cool is this can also inform our herbal choices. So somebody who has bipolar one, it is most, we'll, we'll skip the weeds of the DSM-5's description. The really big thing is they have had at least one true manic episode lasting longer than a week. Now, so there's manic and hypomanic. Now, when you talk about bipolar two, they have hypomanic episodes, which means little manic. So these people are really functional in their daily lives. The hypomanic episodes are not causing them to go to the hospital. They're not having psychotic features like delusions. They might think a little bit much of themselves. They might start too many projects. They might get excited about things. They're extra talkative, but they don't think that they have been sent here as a messiah to bring about the um, the end of all war. <laughs> um the cyclothymic individuals, now this is a very rare diagnosis. People don't hear about it often. And I think, and I'll go, I'll go into the misdiagnosis bit here in a second. I think with cyclothymia, it's underdiagnosed because people don't typically go to seek help for it. Um, it's, I'm having hypo-hypomanic episodes and subclinical depression. You're having the minor episodes, but they last for up to a year. So you're having these little switches between hypohypomania and subclinical depression constantly, which can be really disruptive to your life. But there's no major there's no major trigger that's saying, "Hey, um, this is dangerous for you." It's just it's just disruptive. Um, if you struggle or you have a client who seems to be struggling with mood regulation and they want to get a diagnosis, it can be helpful to know. From an herbal perspective, we don't need their diagnosis. We look at what's in front of us. Are they changing moods constantly? From a Chinese perspective, let's start thinking about wind. Let's start thinking about phlegm. Let's start thinking about heat. <laughs> yeah, no. um, that, that's the really neat thing about the energetic diagnostics, whether Western or Chinese, yeah. <laughs> that it can account so easily for that, mm -hmm. um, that we're not limited to the five or six diagnoses that are there in the, the, uh, in the DMS. Are we up to five now? Yeah, yeah, yeah we're at DSM-5. <laughs> it's like the Fast and Furious. They I've, just lost coming. I've lost track, yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's so often I feel like they don't, they don't even go that far down into the diagnosis. They just start mm -hmm. them on one med and, and sometimes take them off of it. It doesn't work and throw the next one at it. But sometimes yes. you find folks... We're still on five or six different psych meds, antidepressants, and, and so forth. Yeah. All of which bring side effects, which I think is 
why people come sometimes is out of that frustration. Absolutely. I experienced the frustration myself. Um, I was on a medication, which was actually giving me, I called them micro seizures. It's mm. um, spasms in the small muscles of your body. So I wasn't able to drive a car because oh. my hands and my eyes weren't under my physical motor control anymore. <laughs> that's terrifying. So when you are on medication, that's preventing you from being able to go to work and hold a job, that's a really big deal. And especially because we're talking about a population that's already massively underemployed. I think 60% of people with bipolar disorder are unable to hold a full-time job. Um, so they come to us looking for relief from side effects or from help, sometimes even for help advocating to their psychiatrist that they need to be at a, at a, at a different dosage or a different medication. Advocating with your doctor is really important. From a side effects perspective, um, I always feel a little safer with acupuncture because I know I'm not messing with any medication. And when we talk about things like motor tics, which are extremely common, acupuncture can be really helpful. Um, but when we do look at motor tics, I think that um, going into some of the micronutrient deficiencies, again, looking at those mineral-rich herbs, can be extremely helpful. We didn't talk a whole lot about acupuncture and, you know, I don't think we've broached acupuncture a lot on here, <laughs> but like, you know, you're going to a school that has an emphasis on mental emotional health as kind of part of that foundational approach to the stuff. What do you think about acupuncture when dealing, like you said, either with side effects of the medications or mental health issues on a, on a whole? I think it's absolutely amazing. Um, I'm, I'm really excited to be adding this tool to my tool chest right now because what I have seen with the ability to – herbs are amazing. Compliance is difficult. <laughs> um, I will always rely on herbs as my – I think my real bread and butter. I think that you can affect the most change with herbs, the most long-term lasting change if you can get compliance. I think acupuncture – its ability to right here, right now, kick that manic episode. <laughs> That's a big deal. That's a really big deal. Um, I've had a little personal experience it with myself, and I've seen it in the clinic. And I have um, other friends and clinicians who have reported stories back to me. And I, I, if if you have a client who is struggling with it and you know somebody you can refer them to, that's great. If you are struggling with it yourself, I highly recommend trying it out look for somebody who has experience with mental health disorders specifically, just because... I, I think that's important. It, it yeah. is such a unique subset of just health as a whole right. that they need to understand certain aspects and the certainly the contraindications mm. like the uh, mm. mimosa. Yes, the mimosa, because it can be so tempting. Oh, this person's having yeah. a depressive episode. Let's give them a little mimosa. The tree of happiness. Yeah, yes. that's... Yeah. <laughs> and, it's, and it's funny, you know, a lot of times when... I talk about acupuncture for any number of, of different health issues, especially the chronic diseases. Mm -hmm. So many people say like, yeah, but I can't afford it. And I don't have a student clinic in my neighborhood or anything. Mm -hmm. Is there stuff that we can do within the realm of acupuncture that maybe you can have your acupuncturist give you self-care stuff like, you know, acupressure or some other oh, things. Oh, you, you, you know, you know, I want to talk about moxa. I, I was You're giving say. me the lead in. This is great. <laughs> so moxibustion, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, is um, the burning of herbs, kind of like a, like a cigar of incense over acupuncture points. And most frequently we use mugwort, i.e. 
um, artemisia in order to that that's the that's the herb that we're burning and so it emits infrared heat which is super cool um, and it, it stimulates the production of mitochondria and the production of chi within the cells and it moves things it's fantastic so you can get some from your acupuncturist you could buy it online there are all it's all it's widely available um and the same way that you can even yourself look up pressure points online you can use those same concepts of pressure points and just burn that mugwort over the area so i think that's one of my favorites magnet therapy your acupuncturist can send you home with magnets that go over specific points and auricular therapy yeah so it's it's like I would say you should see an acupuncturist at some point to get mm -hmm. some guidance. But, you know, it's expensive to go every week. Uh, and it so is. that's cost prohibitive for so many people. But to go a once every quarter and get guidance that you can do that self-care at home using ways to stimulate those acupuncture points can be so powerful. For me, dealing with my own chronic health issues back in the day, that was m the difference between making it and not making it for me as well. So I always think that's important. And I know we're running short of time. There's never enough oh, time. No. We would do this for hours. I, for anybody listening with a, a loved one who's dealing with mental health issues in general, like what are a couple of takeaways? Like you should start this today. Sleep. <laughs> I, I, I cannot stress enough. And to support that sleep, go outside. Um, clock regulation genes, I won't go into it, especially when we look at disorders like bipolar disorder any mental health issue, um, getting sunlight in the morning, get sunlight in the evening, go outside, put your bare feet on the ground. That's going to help set your hormones into balance. It's going to help you sleep better. Sleep is important for everything. No, that makes a huge, and we didn't talk about that, but if you're not sleeping, you're not getting, <laughs> you're, you're not, not getting repairing better. things. Yeah. So that's a huge one. And I know we talked about, you know, the role of diet and gluten probably leading the parade in mm -hmm. that. And just nourishment. So looking at those safe, nourishing herbs uh, yes. I can go such a long way. And ultimately find a practitioner. Ultimately find a practitioner. They're going to be able to help you work through the weeds. Don't Google it yourself, please. <laughs> and, you know, for many years you practiced uh, here at Acupuncture and Herbal Therapies. And uh, I, I've heard a rumor that we've got you back in there maybe uh, one day a week or something that, you know, at yes. least for a little while you'll be uh, seeing clients again, so I'm excited about that. And, you know, it's we've talked about teaching some classes mm -hmm. um, because this is such an area that hasn't been talked about, hasn't been addressed. Mm -hmm. um, any classes coming up that you're going to be teaching on mental-emotional health? Yes. Oh, so I'm so excited. This, this um, has whet my appetite. I have so much I want to tell everybody, and I need more time to do it. So in April... Um, it's going to be, the date is not totally set, but I'm looking at April 12th. It's going to be a Friday. There will be a class. It'll be an evening class through Tradition School of Herbal Studies. Awesome. And it will be on mental health broadly. I will use a lot of specific examples from schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, anxiety, and depression. And I know we're, we're trying to, it's, it doesn't have as concrete of a date coming up, but, um, we're going to try to work with Dragon Rises to uh, set up a CEU class. Mm. That's something that acupuncture physicians uh, Much or more students or uh, herbalists would be able to, that we spend a full day talking about all that stuff. Because we could spend a year, years talking about all of the nuance of all of it because it's such a unaddressed 
issue, um, meeting that tradition along with the the research and medicine yes. you know, that's out there. Right? I'm very unafraid to broach it. Yes. It needs to happen. <laughs> no, that's awesome. You know, it's a pleasure having you um, on the podcast, Sierra. And Thank so, you so um, much. I'm sure we'll sucker you into it again some other day. I should be so fortunate. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, um, so I hope everybody who's listening has enjoyed their time with uh, me and Sierra and Mastering Herbalism and the Tradition School of Herbal Studies. Um, I hope you uh, stay tuned, listen to all our past bro- past broadcasts, as well as once a month we try to get this uh, online so that you can take a little bit deeper dive into the actual practice of herbalism. Uh, we're going to start back up. It's now January. At the end of January, we're going to have our open forum. And remember, all the classes here at Traditions are also available live online. Uh, so always like to have everybody in person, but no matter where you are, whether you're listening to the show, um, you can access all the great classes. Uh, and just remember, this podcast raises the bar for everyone, novice to practitioner who has an interest and excitement in herbalism. You can learn more about Traditions Herb School uh, at traditionsherbschool.com. Our clinical practice, and if you want to schedule an appointment with Sierra, you can contact Acupuncture and Herbal Therapies at acuherbals.com. And of course, a special thanks to June and Tyler for doing all the hard work and bringing their fancy equipment in and doing the editing. So, And you can find out more about them if you're interested in your own podcast or musical recording at alchemist.com. That's A-L-T-K-E-M-I-S-T. And they've continued to make this podcast uh, possible because it's way outside my skill set. So... And uh, stay tuned for our next episode, subscribe to the channel, and uh, listen to all those past episodes. So be healthy and enjoy your herbs.